We work hard at being healthier. And what we really need is better quality sleep. The new Sleep Number 360 Smart Bed intelligently senses your movements and automatically adjusts your comfort and support on both sides. This is not a bed. It's proven quality sleep. It's the biggest sale of the year where all beds are on sale. Save 50% on the new Sleep Number 360 Limited Edition Smart Bed, plus special financing only for a limited time. To find your local Sleep Number store, go to sleepnumber.com. Special financing subject to credit approval. Minimum monthly payments required. See store for details. They're staying in the shadows. It's called probing. Make sure things are all clear. Clear for what? For the rest of the night. You guys hear that? We go to the Genesis 3 biblical prophetic narrative. We get this, this the scene is simply this Father God is standing in the garden after the fall, Adam and Eve on one side, the serpent on the other, and he says something which is, I think, in my opinion, sets up really the rest of the prophetic narrative that we see in our Bibles. And it's simply this The seed of the serpent will be at enmity, at war with the seed of the woman. He, Messiah, coming Messiah from the seed of the woman, shall crush your head, you'll bruise his heel. That, that sentence is so pregnant with meaning. It is. What's amazing to me is just three chapters later, in Genesis 6, we see the full-on manifestation, in my opinion, of the seed of the serpent. It won't be till thousands of years ago when the seed of the woman finally manifests in Messiah. But the seed of the serpent manifests only three chapters later when we read, The sons of God, the B'nai Ha'elohim, saw the daughters of men, took wives wherever they wanted to, yes. married them, went into them in the biblical sense, and the, the offspring of this unholy union becomes the Nephilim. And this is not, this is something that a lot of Christians have trouble getting their heads around, and I understand that. But yet when we go back, this is what's so important about understanding the exegesis, the interpretation of the Genesis 3 passage, because it sets up the rest of the narrative. When Ralph Glidden, the guy's name, is employed by the High Museum to do primitive archaeological digs on the Channel Islands, which go from Santa Barbara down to San Diego. But Watson's book talked about the fact that Ralph Glidden unearthed, according to Glidden, nine-footers. And he drops a bombshell on me. He goes, L.A., are you aware that they just discovered the lost cache of Ralph Glidden's records in a trunk in the attic of the museum um, out on Catalina that's been missing for decades. I said, you've got to be kidding me. Within the first hour, I was hitting Pedro. And what I mean by that, I was, I was, I was looking at photographs from just about 100 years ago, 1919. And what I was looking at, were these were anomalous pictures to me. One of the pictures I discovered out there shows Ralph Glidden standing in a recently excavated grave, and in front of him, in situ, which means it's not a disarticulated bone pile. It's, it's the skeleton is placed, uncovered exactly the way it was placed. We know that Ralph Gooden was five foot eight. That historically has been documented. Based on this, I sent the picture out 
and this picture, once, once I uh, basically published the evidence, went viral. The three men that took the picture and looked at it, digitized it, put it just under nine feet, eight foot, nine inches. We actually rounded it down six inches to eight foot six to not be sensationalistic. Um, so we've got basically something out on Catalina that shouldn't be there. We walk into the museum and the Ralph Glidden exhibit, when I was there, took up the entire museum. Now it's been reduced to like one room. And we looked at each other in absolute, with our jaws on the ground. And there's the picture of Ralph Glidden standing in the recently excavated grave, but the giant, which is in front of him, has been completely redacted from the picture. It is no longer there. To me, it's an academic cover-up because it points back to the veracity of, of, this, of supernatural scriptures that we read about in our Bibles. Welcome to the show, everybody. I am your host, Tony Merkel, and I am really glad that you're here. And I'm really glad to be here. Today's the day, the day we air the L.A. Marzulli interview. I did this interview a couple weeks ago, and I've been patiently waiting to air it. And finally, you guys will be able to hear it. If you want to see the interview, head over to theconfessionalspodcast.com, hit the membership section, and sign up to become a member. The fee is $10 a month, and you'll have access to tons of extra content plus these video interviews. Hope to see you there. But I'm not going to spend a lot of time jib-jabbing tonight. Let's just get to tonight's show. Okay, tonight we have a special guest coming on, somebody who I've been really excited about interviewing. He's an author, lecturer, and filmmaker. He has eight books, one called, uh, oh, sorry, 10 books. I, <laughs> I'm outdated. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I have Ellie Marzulli on with me tonight. I'm very excited about having him on. He has a YouTube channel that's growing by every day. It seems like you're growing by the hundreds. Uh, but I'm really excited about having you on, Ellie. How are you? I'm doing good. Uh, thanks for having me on, Tony. Great to be here. Uh, it's great to have you, man. I was I listened to a lot of your different interviews and stuff, and a couple of weeks ago, I heard you talking about, uh, I think it was on Hagman and Hagman, where you mentioned about how you had seen UFOs, and it just and for some reason, hearing you say that just hit me, and I was like, why have I never tried getting you on the show? And so uh, I emailed you, and I was really grateful that you emailed me back saying, let's do it. So um, if you want to start off the show with us tonight, you know, telling us what you saw with the UFOs. Well, you know, the, the, I've told this story a gazillion times, and I'll, I'll say it again because it's just, uh, it was life-changing. Uh, you know, it's one thing to be a skeptic. And, you know, no, 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 it's swamp gas, it's weather balloon, it's the planet Venus, all this stuff. I get all that. It's another thing. Once once you're hit with the phenomenon in your face, you know, now what do you do? Now what what do we do? If, if you see something, how do we, re, you know, how do you react to it? I know the way I reacted, but I was 12 years old. I was a kid. Um, I was at Boy Scout Camp, Camp Horseshoe, Rising Sun, Maryland. And we were getting ready to go to lunch. And we were really hungry. And I think, you know, the hot dogs, who knows, whatever, whatever they were going to eat. So the swing guy goes, hey, I know a shortcut to get back to camp. So we took this shortcut. If you, if, and they changed the website because I went there a couple of days ago. They used to have a map of all the trails around camp. And I could point you exactly where that trail was, still exists. And um, we're walking up this trail and it was like a ravine, kind of steep, a lot of boulders. So we're hopping boulder to boulder to boulder, 12-year-old kids, beautiful day. Not a cloud in the sky, sun's out, and we're in a single line, and there's four of us. And the lead guy goes, wow, what's that? The other two kids in front of me go, wow, what is that? I'm the last kid in the line. They go, I go, where? And they go, there, and they point up, and it's a classic silver disc, basically like the one above me. Um, I want to believe. I mean, I'm not going to pull, but that's what it was. The classic silver disc, about the size of my thumbnail. If I hold my thumb out like this, about the size of my thumbnail. Classic disc, the sunlight glinting off of it, no noise. We watched this thing for 20 seconds, 25 seconds, and it shot straight up in the air, and a blink of an eye, it was gone. And I've heard that. 
I can't tell you how many people have told me the same thing, that when they watch the craft all of a sudden, and boom, it's just gone like that, like in a blink of an eye. And they, they move at just incredible speeds. Um, one pilot that we interviewed for the new film, The Watchmen Chronicles, in their own words, this pilot, Dennis, told me that this thing came in on them. He's a commercial airliner uh, flying at, you know, 30 above cloud, 32,000 feet, um, and, and, you know, doing about 500 miles an hour from Lima to Mexico City. And this thing comes in on them at basically 35,000 miles an hour, which is just unprecedented. That's incredible. And, and, yeah, and when it left, it left the scene the same way. It was just like, whoop. This thing shot straight up, completely gone, and... We go running back to Boy Scout camp. We saw a UFO. We saw a flying saucer. By 5 o'clock that night, the other three boys that were with me denied that they had ever seen anything. And I was the only kid who, who would not back down from the story, which <laughs> it's sort of a life lesson of herd mentality. People right. will deny what they've seen, change their story, to be part of the crowd. It's just like the Matrix. Remember the movie where, where the traitor just goes, he doesn't care. You know, he just wants to have all the good food and that's all he doesn't care. Yeah. You know, yeah. and he betrays everybody. And that's the human nature. I wouldn't back down. I know what I saw. There's actually a film now. It's an older film called I Know What I Saw. And it's people that have seen the UFO phenomenon up close, close encounters, the first and second kind. And they know what they saw was real. It wasn't swamp gas. It wasn't a weather balloon. It wasn't a flock of geese. You know, it, it wasn't the planet Venus. I mean, it's just, and the bunkers have used that for, for decades and it doesn't work anymore. And it doesn't work anymore because the UFO phenomena is exponentially on the rise. It's just like this. The, the graph is off. It's just, there's so many of them now, they have trouble keeping track of them. And that some of the researchers are alarmed by the increase of UFOs. So this is what, um, you know, I've, I've been doing this forever since I was, you know, a kid and I saw one. Then, of course, um, Eric Von Danica's book, Chariots of the Gods, came out. And I was 16, 17, 18 when I forget what day, what year it was, but I was young. And I got that and, and devoured it, devoured the book. Interestingly enough, um, and I believed in that paradigm. You know, I was I was raised in a Catholic church. And by that time, I was completely out of, you know, any type of formal religion. And it wouldn't be, you know, for decades, uh, a decade and a half, I, I became a born-again spiritual Christian at 30 years old. That's 37 years ago. So um, I was ripe for this, you know, just this whole indoctrination into the so-called ancient astronaut theorist. And now, of course, I, uh, the, the films I produce, what I talk about is the, there's another paradigm uh, of an ancient astronaut, extraterrestrial, it's interdimensional. And I believe, as Jacques Vallée does and, and uh, J. Alekhynik, that this phenomenon is, in fact, interdimensional, not extraterrestrial. And that, of course, is huge. That there's a real difference. Yes. But it explains the phenomenon. In my, in my opinion, my position explains the phenomenon in, in, in a much better light than, than theirs does. Because these guys, I was on George Norrie's show, Coast to Coast, a while back, talking about the new film. Watchman Chronicles. And I said, you know, George, this cat and mouse game has gone on for decades, for decades. They appear, they disappear, they fly here, there's a flap there, they come, they go, they take people, the cattle are mutilated, blah, 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 the whole deal. It just goes on and on and on, you know, show up already. And they never do. So something is holding them back. Something is restraining them from fully manifesting. And that led me to this this new saying that I coined a while back, actually a prophecy watch is the first time I said it. We go up, they show up. We go up, they come down. And I really believe that that's what happens. And it's not everybody. It's a small remnant of people that actually get out of here. There's 1.8 billion Christians in the world, so-called Christians. Many of them are just a Christian in name only. Yeah, you know, I, I go to Christmas and Easter, get my get my ticket stamped, damn good. You know, that that whole kind of attitude. And it's like, that's not what we're talking about. Right. And so I think it's a very small remnant that actually goes up. And there's another scripture that tells us that, you know, watch, watch and be ready and pray that you'll be counted worthy. Well, what's that mean? You know, it's like, wait a second. It's not like a, a, a carte blanche, get out of jail free card here. I mean, it's something's going on here. But what's interesting is this, 
I've heard this before I was a Christian. I heard this when I was a New Ager, that when they show up, before they show up, they will take the people who aren't ready for the big new paradigm shift because, you know, we're, we're the Neanderthals. They'll take us out of here. And then the rest of humanity will go through the paradigm shift together. I've heard this for decades. So the New Agers have already got an answer for what we call the rapture. Go figure. Yeah, go figure. <laughs> yeah, I, I've never um, really got into the whole uh, UFO phenomenon until a few years ago. And I, I started looking into a bunch of different people because I didn't know really where to look. And I came across your stuff and uh, Steve Quayle and some other people that talk about these kind of topics along a more biblical light. And uh, I really found, you know, a home there because it kind of explained things to me in, in a way for me to understand when it comes to my theological background and how this all kind of makes sense. And so, yeah, it makes I find it very interesting. It's uh, it it keeps you up at night. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> definitely, definitely. It, it keeps my mind turning all the time. So, you know, one of the things that a lot of people email me about and send me messages is the whole Kandahar giant. Uh, people actually send me your video a lot of times. And uh, would you want to go into explaining, you know, how that whole thing came about and uh, what you found with that? Well, it's, it's very interesting. It came about Richard Shaw, uh, the producer and, and the co-producer of the Watchers series, was on a radio show and this caller called in and uh, the caller was ex-military and they off the air, they got into a conversation, one thing led to another. So Richard said, well, you know, you need to talk to my my friend, Elie Marzulli. He's written 10 books about Nephilim because the, this man claimed would be one of the shooters of a giant at least 12 feet tall. And so... Okay, that's a great story, and it corroborates what Steve Quayle has heard. But it's it's almost unbelievable, right? And uh, so so I called this guy. We had a conversation, and I flew out to an archaeological dig in Ohio, which where I was at. And this guy met me there, and I met him face to face. Could look at the body language, and you know I'd already heard the story, and I asked him the story two or three times in the course of a weekend. And he repeated it with the same details. And every every time he got to this one part where they, they come down this ravine like a goat trail and they land on this ledge, which is above this valley, thousands of feet below. And uh, uh, there, there's a cave up like this. And this giant comes out of the cave and they're all frozen. And this guy, Dan, was the first guy to break out of the hypnosis, so to speak. And he starts running and firing at this giant. Well, the giant moves with such agility and speed, he's got a pike, he's got a spear in one hand, and he's running really fast, and spears Dan and holds him up like this, and they realize he's coming after more. And they just, somebody else, shoot him in the face, shoot him in the face, they basically de almost decapitate him with, with the firepower that they had. And the thing falls to the ground, and it's at, that's when they, the, the smell becomes overwhelming, it smelled like rotting corpses, um, just, uh, just overpowering nauseating and this thing was airlifted out uh, interesting enough in dallas just recently in march and the march in april so it's like you know a month and a little over a month ago now right this guy came up to me still active military and told me that he's a chopper pilot he landed uh he was in iraq and called out to this one place outside of baghdad and as he landed, the moment he landed, he was given an immediate promotion, and then he was given uh, a, a security clearance went way up, and he flew out a biological entity under a tarp for something very big. And I said, was it a giant? And he just looked at me and went like that. So we've had many reports of them. We know that they're there. Um, I was approached by someone from one of the alphabet agencies because of the Kandahar giant piece. That's that's the piece that that got attention. Um, they know that they're there, um, knowing what we know about uh, um, deep underground labs. They've already got the DNA from these things. They're already figuring out how to inject that DNA into soldiers and make them super soldiers. Um, and what they don't understand is what they're dealing with is the Nephilim. That's what these are. And this raises more questions than it answers. How old was this thing in Kandahar? Was it fairly recent? Was it 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 years old? Was it literally left over from the 3,500-year-old 
war when Joshua and Caleb go in and destroy the giants? Is it that old? Was it hibernating in some sort of stasis underground and now in these last days being awakened? See, we don't know. Is it able to reproduce? We don't know. Is If it's truly Nephilim, it's part angel, which is eternal, and, and part human. But it's in a fixed state, and it has no soul. And there, it's, it's a crazed a crazed thing. I mean, it really is. And I wrote about this also in a fictional work in my book, The Nephilim Trilogy. In the very first book, Nephilim, that's what uh, – at the end of the story, they're in a deep underground base, and this giant, you know, I mean, this giant gets loose, and all hell breaks loose. So, and I wrote about that in 1999, wow. before before Kandahar, before any of this stuff. So in some ways, it's prophetic. Yeah, now, uh, I think I remember hearing, uh, probably it was you talking about how they said that they were trained to aim high when they went into this area. Uh, and that, that was because, well, I guess the theoretical reason would be because they knew that these giants were there. Is that right? Yeah. This, this one, uh, one of our connections that came on the record, who's no longer military, but he was in Kandahar and when they were, they were doing cave fighting, training for cave fighting. And they were told, you know, they were, you know, you're, you're, you're taught to do two in the chest, one in the head or whatever, right? Bam, bam, boom. The guy's dead. That's what you're taught. And, uh, they, they, they were in the cave and they're going like, you know, a makeshift cave, aim high. And they're going, well, why do you aim high? Just aim high. That's all we're told. And when they finally got to Kandahar, that's when this guy put two and two together because this was all circulating around the base that a giant had been killed, but no one was supposed to talk about it. So, look, they're there. The government knows it. And they can't go there. They can't talk about it or release it because it points back to the biblical prophetic narrative. And it points back to the veracity of the biblical prophetic narrative. And it points back to Jesus's words. It'll be like the days of Noah when he returns. And that might hold. I mean, we haven't seen this stuff. We know they were here in the Americas. We know that all the tribes talk about. You know, in my work on Catalina Island, nine footers out in Catalina, right. nine foot right. guy is really big. If you've got 12 footers running around in Kandahar, that's that's off the hook. I mean, seriously, a 12 footer. I can't even imagine what that looks like. I'm six feet. And there's a picture I show of, of a guy who's only a foot taller than I am. He's he's a seven foot. He was an ex basketball player. I look like a midget. In fact, what I'm going to do is while you're there, I'm going to see if I can pull this up on my other computer and show it to you guys. Okay. So you'll have to ask me another question. I'll try to do yeah. two things. <laughs> well, no, I, I do find it interesting about the whole super soldier thing because uh, I know there's a lot of people that say, well, that's just crazy. They, they, they can't do that or they wouldn't do that. And the, I always say they are doing that. I mean that they they're already they're coming out just I think it was last year they came out and they told us that uh they are farming human organs inside of pigs. That's DNA manipulation. That's that's hybrid, you know? And if and if they're coming out and they're saying that and it's in the in the Huffington Post, then what do you think they're doing behind the scenes? That's old news to them. That's stuff that they're used to that that that's just they've been doing that. So it's like what do you think that they're actually doing behind the scenes because that's to me, that's serious stuff. And so, I mean, when the whole, when, with the whole super soldier thing, to me, it's just not far-fetched whatsoever. And I, I completely concur with what you're saying. It's, it's um, uh, these guys, these guys have an agenda. I mean, they really do. And, and they're, and you have to remember something. They are, they are godless. I mean, they're, they're just, they're just godless men that believe that the ends justify the means and they can do anything that they want to do. So here's, I got it. I was able to find it and awesome. I'm going to show this to you. The guy's face is blacked out. That's a seven footer right there. Wow. And that's standing next to him. Jeez. That's a big difference. And that's only one foot. That that's, that's why I show it because when you say a nine footer to people, they don't get it. Oh, nine feet. Well, that's not that big. Excuse me, one <laughs> foot, one foot. 
and I look like a shrimp. I mean, I look like a grasshopper, and he's only a seven footer. So you go down to a Jewish guy who's five foot six, right? Yeah. And now, now you get, let's say, Goliath, and I'll just be, you know, if he's nine feet, it's game over. If he's 10 feet, I mean, as you go up, you go out like this, just like this guy does, and you become this behemoth. It's just, it's, it's beyond anything. So you imagine the shooter that we, we, you know, talk to, he's coming out of the, you know, he's, he's looking for this patrol. This giant comes out. He said it was at least 12 feet tall. They're all frozen in their traps. They've never been trained for this. They don't know how to deal with this. This is beyond nightmare. This is like, what, you know, where am I? What, somebody hit me because I don't, I'm, I must be dreaming. Yeah. And finally one guy comes out of it and he starts shooting the thing. And apparently the bullets had no effect. Had no effect. They had to cut that, almost cut the head off, which is David and Goliath, right? Mm -hmm. Really bizarre stuff. So just gives you an idea of what we're up against. But, you know, it's a, it's a strange world and it's getting stranger. I want to just get back to the, UFO thing, just real quick, but you know when when disclosure happens, and this is what people don't understand, it's not it's not if they're going to show up, it's, it's just a question of when. Is it tomorrow? Is it a month? Is it a year later? And I mean, if there's disclosure and they don't show up, then that's going to create incredible chaos. In other words, let's say Trump goes, we've known about it. He has an announcement, Joint Chiefs of Staff, blah, blah, blah. Hey, we know about this. They've been here. They've been here for years. The governments of the world, the Pope says something. I mean, you know, they're all in cahoots together and, right. and they're off to the races. That's the game changer. That is the game changer. And people need to understand that, you know, look, if it was one or two sightings a week or one or two sightings a year, we wouldn't be having this discussion. It's in the thousands every month now. And it's not going away. And another saying I coined, UFOs are real, burgeoning, and not going away. And with a church in particular, who, you know, the ostrich people in the church, they don't want to deal with this. Yet we sit there. <laughs> the yeah, ostrich it, people. Ostrich people. <laughs> head in the sand, please. Don't, don't confuse me with the facts. But they'll sit there. And they'll talk about the virgin birth, floating accidents, talking donkeys, you know, staffs that turn into snakes. Staffs that hit hit rocks and water gushes out. Staffs that hit the water and the water divides and three million people go walking through. Men that walk on water. Water that's changed to wine. I mean, are, are you kidding me? We talk about the stuff we read, domini, domini, domini. We read all this stuff in our Bibles and we believe it. <clears throat> and yet we walk out of the church <clears throat> and, oh, that, that that's not happening. <clears throat> Don't look there. Don't worry about what's in the sky. Just love Jesus. It's like, go figure yeah, you know, and I find that fascinating because, you know, we are, we're taught that, you know, the scripture is true. What's in the scripture is true. And people say that, you know, yes, I believe the scriptures. I'm a Christian. And I believe the scriptures. And it's like, okay, so when you read through the Bible and you talk about, you know, Noah's staff turning into a serpent and then consuming other staffs that were turned into serpents, we're talking about seas that were parted and we're talking about fire coming down from heaven. And they say they believe all that. But then like a guy like me who mentions Bigfoot, they look at me like I have 10 heads. I'm like, exactly. what is wrong, wrong with you? People? What is wrong with you people? You really don't believe in the supernatural. You say you do because it's all in a nice little book and it's all bundled up and you're sitting in a nice warm pew and you don't have to worry about this. You're not seeing the staff turn into a serpent. You're not watching the magicians who are obviously steeped in the dark arts and the occult. Hello, no one ever talks about that. How right. is it that the magicians just go, no biggie, boom, and they do it too? I wrote about this in the book, The Cosmic Chess Match. There is, at the time of, of Noah, time of the time of Moses going in, there's a full-blown worldwide occult paradigm in operation. It's there. It's firing on all eight cylinders. And the vestiges of it trickle down into our society today. And, you know, I mean, <clears throat> secret society is the whole deal. They worship Lucifer. They worship Hasatan, Satan. That's who they worship. <clears throat> and they call themselves the sons of the Nephilim. We know that. So, look, all this stuff is real. And yet the church, we go to a little sleepy church here. I love the pastor. He's great. But there's never a word about prophecy. It's never a word about, you know, last days, end times, Jesus is coming soon. It's all, you know, how to how to succeed and get through life and know who you are. And I, that's all important. And that's great. I get that. But we need the whole counsel of God, which is, 
you know, the stuff that I get into. Right. We were just up at the, the, the alternative to that is <clears throat> we, we were just up at a church in Michigan. Pastor Pete Valdez, the real deal, man. Pete and Shirley, these guys were the real deal. I mean, I've been in a lot of different churches. I've seen, I've seen it all. This guy, when the church doors are open, he's in the front foyer. He greets everybody by name. And it's not, you know, you know, hey, nice seeing you again, Bob. Great to be here. Hello, Julie. No, man. It's like, hey, hey. you know, he's like all over you. Yeah. Oh, he just exudes the love of the Lord. It's unbelievable. And it's genuine. It is genuine. This man's got totally sold out, loves the Lord. Just completely into the into his into his people, and he had me come in, and I talked Friday night, Saturday morning, Saturday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night. Wow, that's great. I I gave him everything. I mean, not everything, but you know, I gave him like ten hours basically of presentations, lots of yak, all with full blown PowerPoint, embedded movies, and these people walked out of there. They're on information overload. I get that. But that's a good thing, you know, because now they can now they they won't be deceived. That's the whole point of what we're doing. They won't be deceived by what they see, by the nonsense from the other side of the aisle that's trying to tell us that we were visited by, you know, extraterrestrials. How about about interdimensionals? Just change the word and we're all on the same page. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, I, I grew up with a uh, a grandfather who... I forget the name of the group that he was part of. Uh, I want to say like some kind of businessmen's fellowship, uh, gospel businessmen's fellowship or something like that back in the day. And uh, he told me some miraculous stories that, you know, he was like God, that he would be praying for somebody and a person's leg would grow right there on stage. Uh, he would be praying for somebody and that sight would be healed, hearing um, angels showing up. And it's just like that kind of miraculous stuff. I, I kind of grew up around and stuff. And, I, and I'm like, I don't have, a, for me personally, I don't have a hard time believing that stuff because I was raised around that stuff. You know, I was raised, that's real stuff. But uh, I guess, you know, majority of the church today just doesn't, doesn't get it. It's all sanitized. It, you know, is it, I'm not, look, I'm not bagging on the church. I'm part of the church. We're trying to wake up the church. Sure. We're trying to pull the ostrich heads out of the sand and go, look around. You know, it, it's, it's everywhere. Come on. You know, and you know what? Um, one one of the things that, I, and I guess I sort of bring a unique perspective because I was I had a guru, my third eye was open, you know I I I, I astral projected before I you know drugs don't acid I smoked at Woodstock I mean I did it all you know I mean I was 13 years old when the Beatles came out I was swept up in in the greatest influx of Eastern mysticism I did silver mind control I read Carlos Castaneda's books I went on vision quests I mean I did all that. And, it, and the thing is, it never, ever, ever touches the heart of man, which is deceitfully wicked. All those things just mask it over. And the only thing that ever dealt with my own depravity was when I gave my life to Jesus. And that changed everything. Because now I realize that, you know, I'm a depraved human being. He died on the cross for me. And he's going to change me. He's going to take me and put me into his forge. He's going to heat me up. And he's going to shape me. He's going to pound me into the man that he wants me to be. It's been 37 years since I came across the line. And I can't even believe what I'm doing. I mean, I can't even fathom what he's made me. Apart from him, I can do nothing. That's what he says. Remember when you're out in the, going to Gethsemane. I'm the vine. You're the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I understand that. You know, we hear those words. But when we start to live it and we start to understand and get our heads around it and grasp the idea that he is he's everything, man. I mean, he's my creator. Go figure. How does that work? Right. You know, yeah, how does that work? Praise God, giver of life. The first time I ever spoke in tongues was I, I had the I had the the tongue and I had the interpretation. I still remember it. the tongue was et sardonis everebrium. That's what came out of my mouth. At Sardonus Everebrium. In the translation, they came out together. Praise God, giver of life. That was my prayer language. That's when my first time I ever spoke in my prayer language. So having been on the other side of the aisle, you know, I saw I saw a Mahatma, a holy man in India with a shaved head and, the, you know, the orange robe. I saw him bilocate 100 yards down the beach. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. The stuff I've seen. Because I was on the other side of the aisle. Wow. That's the whole point. You know, so it's like, 
I'm like used to the supernatural. I go to church and it's like flatline, <laughs> except for Calvary chapels in the day. And that was really cool. 37 years ago, there were believers meeting and people sat around and they waited on the spirit of a living God and things would happen. People would get healed. People would get a word of knowledge. I mean, all that stuff was real. All that stuff, for the most part, in most churches has been shut down. Or we get what I call the hyper Pentecostal foolishness where, you know, gold dust and feathers and diamonds, which appeal to the flesh. But have no anytime I've been I, I was a worship leader for 25 years. Anytime the spirit of a living God really showed up, I mean, really showed up. People are on their faces. They're on their knees. They're weeping. That's what I see. There is reverential silence. There's nobody swinging from chandeliers and slapping a bunch of people and falling down. None of that nonsense. People are are broken. There's this holiness that's, that permeates, I mean, a holiness that permeates the room. People are weeping, convicted of sin, convicted of what they are, and just crying out to Jesus. People are getting healed, deep, deeply healed of emotional baggage that they've carried around in some, some cases decades. That's what I've seen. That's what I want. Oh, I can't, you know, just give me that, man. That's it. We went up to this one place years ago life-changing for me. It was called Tulare. And we heard that that there was like the Lord had broken out there and in a good way, that the, that this, this evangelist came in this little cow town. I mean, the church would seat maybe 30 people. It was more like a chapel than a church. And we walked into this place. I'll never forget it. I opened the doors and I, I looked at my friend Bill Myers and I just went, oh my gosh, we're in the tabernacle. I mean, you could just, I mean, I, I'm talking about I got goosebumps. And we just sat down really quiet, didn't say anything. And the guy was like leading and said, if you're here to do anything, please don't. First thing he said, if you're here to do anything or, you know, just just don't. It's all about him. Just sit in his presence. And, you know, we went up and and uh, I had a vision where the Lord uh, took me out. Um, and, you know, not not like Paul, like out of the body, just a mental picture, a vision. And uh he showed me the universe, and I realized how small I was, how inconsequential I was. And it was, I was troubled by that. I didn't understand it. And I wrestled with that for two or three days. And finally, he gave me the interpretation. He said, L.A., that, you know, look how big everything is, and look how small you are. And yet I love you, and I care about you, and I know every hair on your head. And I, and that was life-changing for me. And from that, I wrote this, this song called Joy, and the choir did it. It was really, really cool. But... You walk into that place and holy, reverential, people just, just by the, but they had like an altar there. They just one, I remember one woman just like leaning up against the altar, just like just resting in his presence. It's like, you know, and then, then you, then you click the channel, right? <laughs> and, and you watch some of the nonsense that's out there, you know, it's just like, oh my God. Right. It's like, right. you know, which, which is live and which is Memorex? What do, where do I want to go? It's a no-brainer. Yeah, absolutely. I absolutely agree with you. Um, let's let's bring it back to the uh, Paracas skulls. Uh, I know. Yeah, look behind you right there. Yeah, absolutely. That's an elongated skull. That it, it's not a real one, obviously, but it's it's a one-to-one -one ratio. It's a cast. That's what it looks like. Um, we don't have a lower jaw to it. But here's what's telling, and this is the work of Rick Woodward, who's written uh, for us, um, and his work, his new work will be published. I'm republishing On the Trail of a Nephilim, Volume 1, 2, and also all the DNA evidence under one new book. It'll be like about 80 bucks because it's like 600 pages. Wow. Yeah, it's it's the whole deal. That's huge. This is, yeah, this is the foramen magnum right here. This is the foramen magnum. This is where our spinal column comes up, I'll use my finger, spinal column comes up like this and attaches to the base of the skull. But our spinal column is here in the center of our skull. This one, as you can see, is as far back to the back as wow. you, if you, if you go for any further back, you are outside the skull. That, that mean like here's, here, here's, I mean, serious, I'm looking right at it and, and you can see that. It's like, if you go any further back, you're outside the skull. Yeah, absolutely. That's not normal. No. And you 
That's not. And you can people go, well, it's just all cradle headboarded, LA. And and this is the deal. You know, you talk to these people and they act like they're they know everything. They don't know everything. Some of these people have never actually looked at one of these and they've never held them. They they've never looked at the morphology, the structure of the skull. But they they know all about it. They'll tell you, oh, it's all cradle headboarded. Nonsense. Some of them were cradle headboarded, but not all of them. And we believe, and notice here, there's no sagittal suture. There should be a sagittal suture which goes down and splits this part of the skull, what's called the parietal. It's called a sagittal suture, and it goes from the frontal plate here all the way to the rear, the occipital plate right there. And it would split the, the two the two. Uh, the skull and, and the parietal into two halves, the parietal plate. That's what it's called. This doesn't exist. Okay, there's a disease called craniosynostosis, where the sagittal suture in, in, in late age seals itself. I get that. But why is it that we find many of the paracas skulls without a sagittal suture? Is it a genetic anomaly? And then we say, yes, it is. We, and, and we've done preliminary DNA testing on the hair that we took out of, um, out of Paracas. And um, uh, all the hair from Paracas showed a European ancestry. Immediately the lab goes, oh, nope, it's a contamination. And we go, wait a minute. You know, you're, you're telling me that your lab prides itself on the fact that there is no contamination. And with one of these artifacts in particular, we were in control. We unwrapped the mummy skull, 2,000-year-old mummy skull. We unwrapped it, okay? And... I mean, come on. I'm going to show you this in a second. We unwrapped this thing, and the hair was immediately tagged and bagged. We know exactly where it came from. So that's not going to fly. I mean, it's just, it's just not. It, it was this skull right here, and I'll show it to you in just a second. This is what we call the baby skull right here. Okay. Notice the red hair. And we took, had hair samples of that, and, and the hair samples went right up to the lap and it shows a European ancestry. And that's not, that can't be because we know that from the Darwinian land bridge, okay, the haplogroups were all U2E1. Let me just show you why this is important. Let me get there, hold on. According to Darwinism, can you see this okay or is the light? Uh, not yet, up a little bit when you turn the screen, yeah. You see that? Yes. Okay, so here's, this is called the Beringian Land Bridge. This is where at the end of the last ice age, allegedly, that the Bering Strait, which is a waterway now, was open. It was a land bridge. So people from Asia came across and populated the Americas. And we're saying, okay, I get that. Yeah, that happened. But we also know, and our hypothesis has always been this, that 3,500 years ago, um, when Joshua and Caleb went into the Promised Land, the Nephilim tribes were there. The Nephilim, the Raphaim, the Zanzumim, the Imam, the Anakim, Longnecks. And we believe there was a diaspora of giants that left, or Nephilim tribes that left the area. If that's the case, we should find vestiges of it. And that's, what, that's why we're doing this. Right. Because it goes back and proves the veracity of the biblical prophetic narrative. It also goes back and proves that the Native American oral tradition that there were nine-foot giants in Milan that were cannibalistic, six-fingered giants, and we, we know that. And that's why we're doing what we're doing, because it all traces back and, and, and points back to the supernatural. And this is why we were at loggerheads with the, Darwin, the, the Darwinists, because, you know, they don't want to believe any of this. There is no supernatural in Darwinism. There's only mindless evolution. There is no God. The Bible is just a bunch of fairy tales. That's what they believe. We're saying, no, Bible isn't fairy tales. The Bible is the truth. It's the written word of God, and you would do well to understand what it talks about. So with the Nephilim dispersing throughout the world, essentially, is that how we can look at the pyramids that we find in South America and things like that? There's a book that I'm, I'm in the process of writing um, which deals with some of this, and I won't tell you the the hypotheses because if I do, someone will get it and steal it from me because that's sure. how things work. But I'm 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 writing something. It'll be out probably in 2018. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, because I, I I often wonder about that kind of stuff, but I I do remember hearing you talk about that, and uh, 
I found it very interesting. Very, very interesting. So um, one another thing that people ask me about, and I just heard it yesterday, is that some people say that they believe that um, Bigfoot or even Dogman, things like that, cryptids, are some kind of Nephilim. Uh, what would you say to that? Absolutely. No doubt in my mind that's what they are. Yeah, and Ryan, Ryan Moorhead, um, I haven't read his new book yet, Quantum Bigfoot, but I, I'm sitting on my desk here. But um, I'll probably be interviewing Ron in the next couple of months, whatever, when I get some time to do it. But yeah, I mean, that's that's what it is, in my opinion. They have they have cone heads. They're, they're conical in shape, most of them. And once again, it's uh, who knows what we're looking at with this stuff. I mean, who knows? But they pop in, they pop out. I've had people come up and tell me this. They can control you on some levels. Um, it's it's very intense. And I got to go in like five minutes. All right, then let's get some uh, closing statements here. You okay. mentioned about the uh, new film you're working on, right? Uh, would you want to talk about that for a few minutes? Uh, you mean the one I just released? Or, yeah, the, the, or, the one you just released. Yeah, that is called In Their Own Words. The Watchmen Chronicles is a brand new series. In Their Own Words, UFOs are real. It's an hour and 37 minutes long. we got people from all walks of life coming on the record. If you go to my YouTube channel, L.A. Marzulli, there's a lot of stuff. In fact, um, we just did another update today. Al came on. Al Matthews is sort of a centerpiece of the film. And I did a Skype interview with Al last night. Um, it's a two-parter. I'll do part two tomorrow. Al came on the record, and it's just amazing um, what he, uh, his testimony and what he says. That's up on the YouTube channel, and we'll get into that more tomorrow. I interviewed a man today. Uh, I hate to say it, but it's sort of a deathbed confession, and that'll be up later on in the week. Uh, his account of what he saw, including some drawings that he did. The UFO phenomenon is real. And the people that come on the record in the film, in their own words, that's why the title, have seen something from all walks of life. Everything from close encounters to the first kind, orbs coming up uh, next to cars, missing time, entire an entire car beamed up into a ship, four hours of missing time, a pilot that sees the UFO coming at 30,000 miles an hour, two whistleblowers that worked and that, that, that one of them works in an underground base. The other one was taken to an underground base and saw stuff. The whistleblowers come out. Uh, they talk about what they've seen. Paul McGuire and different pastors like Pastor Billy Crone, Pastor Paul Begley, uh, Frank Bolella come in on the record. Gary Stearman of Prophecy Watchers talk about the phenomena, talk about what it is. Gary talks about what he saw in Kansas. Frank Bolella talks about what he saw. Billy Crone weighs in on it. Billy's, you know, talking about UFOs. Um, Paul McGuire comes in and talks about disclosure. It is an hour and 37 minutes and, and West, of, of packed information, Wesley Sangiori does a marvelous job on bringing the stories to life through computer-generated imagery. All the, all the, and it's all moving stuff. So as the person's talking, all of a sudden they'll cut over, and there's Wesley's you know, CGI, and you're watching it. As you're hearing Al talking about, I was out on the ice rink, and I looked up, and three UFOs, bam, there they are. You know, Wesley just brings it to life through CGI. So he did a great job, and... Um, you know, it's it's the beginning of a long partnership between the two of us because he's just a great guy, and uh, we were, he's doing a new book cover actually for the um, uh, Amateur of Nephilim Volume One, Two, and essentially Three. So that's you know, folks, go to the WatchmanChronicles.com, the WatchmanChronicles.com, WatchmanChronicles.com. Check it out in their own words. Watch the trailer. You can also buy it by going to my website, lamarzuli.net. By the way, I will be in Oceanside, California, uh, Friday night at a place called The Anchor. Go to the blog, lamarzuli.net. You can see where it is. Uh, next week, I'll be joining uh, Pastor Russ Dizdar and uh, Pastor uh, uh, Dave Dobbenmeyer up in uh, Ohio. Uh, we'll also be going out to the Great Circle Mound there on Sunday. So the conference starts Friday, Saturday, all day Sunday. Hope to see you there in Ohio. Again, go to the blog, lamarzulli.wordpress.com, and you can get all the info that you want. Well, thank you very much for coming on tonight and sharing that information, man. Thanks, Tony. Appreciate it, man. Take care, man. Thank you. God bless you. Well, that's the show, everybody. I really hope you enjoyed it. I certainly enjoyed talking to L.A. Marzulli. It was definitely a milestone interview for me. If you want to find out more about L.A., go to his website, lamarzuli.net. That's L-A-M-A-R-Z-U-L-I. 
L-A-M-A-R-Z-U-L-L-I.net. And also look him up on YouTube for all his YouTube videos, L.A. Marzulli. That's all you got to type in and he'll pop right up. Now on an interview like this, I definitely want to hear people's feedback. So shoot me an email by going to the website, theconfessionalspodcast.com, hit the connection section, and leave me a message as to what you thought of tonight's show. And if you've had an encounter, go ahead and email me. My email is theconfessionalspodcast at gmail.com. I really hope you guys enjoyed tonight's show. And as always, I'll be back here next Saturday night with another episode for your listening pleasure. Until then, take care, friends.